You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 130. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. This was like, life is too short. I just, I cannot wait. And so I wrote a resignation letter and I handed it in and my boss like begged me to stay. And I was like, I'll stay a few more months. I'll see how I feel. And then like the end of the summer came around. I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm really done. And so I enrolled in culinary school and I just like said a little prayer and um, it worked out. And I'm just like, it's the best, like other than the choice to have children, it was like the best decision I ever made. Welcome back, veggie lovers. Happy Sunday. I hope that you had a very plantastic week. I have another fun episode for you today with Lauren Kretzer, who is a professionally trained vegan chef and recipe developer. But before I tell you more about her, just a quick reminder, I have lots of freebies on my website and it's growing every month. Lots of cool stuff available there. How to replace meat, how to replace dairy, ideas for breakfast and lunch. And more recently, I have a nutrients of concern slash supplement freebie download. So if you are looking for information, you want to share with friends and family, go to dryami.com forward slash free, D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash F-R-E-E so that you can look at those freebies, see if you're interested in any of them, download one, download them all. And thank you to all of you that have read my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. I have A review from Emily W. posted on Amazon, a five-star review titled Awesome Book, Great Comprehensive Book About Intuitive Eating and Children. Thank you so much, Emily. And thank you all of you who have read my book, written a review, reached out to me to tell me how it's impacted you in your life, how you feed your children, how you feed yourself. I really appreciate hearing from you. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a healthcare professional. So if you have concern about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult your doctor. All right, Lauren Kretzer. She is so sweet and so kind. I really enjoyed talking to her today. And she is a professionally trained vegan chef and recipe developer and a graduate of the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York City. She holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition from Cornell, and she has worked throughout the tri-state area in Michelin-starred kitchens, 
privately in the kitchens of families and celebrities, and currently as a recipe developer for international wellness brands, restaurants, New York Times bestselling authors, and popular media outlets such as Vogue, Well Plus Good, and Veg News. She currently lives in Northern New Jersey with her husband, two young daughters, and rescue dog. When she's not cooking, she enjoys being out in nature with her family and reading. She can be found on Instagram at Lauren underscore Kretzer, that's K-R-E-T-Z-E-R, and online at www.laurenkretzer.com. In this episode, we talk about her vegan journey, which of course is unique. Every single guest I have on here has really fun stories, unique stories about how they came to eat a plant-based or vegan diet. So she talks about that, how she made a dramatic career change, guys. I love her story of how she listened to her heart despite other people saying, don't do it, to become a chef. Love that story. We also talk about myths that she encounters around cooking and preparing vegan food, what surprises people the most about vegan cooking, how having two daughters has influenced her perspective on nutrition, and what her real thoughts are on raising vegan children. She also gives four excellent tips for stressed parents that want to cook healthy and make delicious food for their families. And we talk about our favorite kitchen appliances, and what would be her last dinner. This is a great episode. It's lighthearted and fun, and you're going to love it. So veggie lover, thank you so much for joining me today and every week. I appreciate you. You are the reason why I continue to make this podcast let me know what you think. Reach out to me on social media, or you can email me at yami at dryami.com and let me know what you think and who else you'd like to see on the show. Well, without further ado, on to this fabulous conversation between me and Lauren Kretzer. Lauren Kretzer, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be a guest today. All right. Well, let's get into it. Tell me about your vegan journey. How did you end up here? Well, um, my vegan journey actually started when I was a kid, actually. Um, when I was about seven or eight years old, my father became a vegetarian for health reasons, but he also read John Robbins' book, Diet for a New America, and just became really immersed in not only the diet, but sort of the whole vegetarian culture at the time. It was um, mid to late 80s. So it was sort of still an emerging new thing in America. And um, just watching him, I kind of just was curious. And I've always looked up to my father. So I just wanted to do what he was doing. And he just explained to me, I love animals. I don't want to eat them anymore. And it's also better for my body. So um, I started through no force of his, um, I started making similar choices. And I pretty much overnight cut out um, meat and fish from my diet. And then I continued to eat poultry for a few years um, and then eventually cut that out too and remained vegetarian for all of my teen years, throughout college, throughout my 20s, and was really happy you know, with that lifestyle. And I didn't really know anything about veganism. I didn't really know what it meant. Um, I think the little that I did know, I thought it was kind of extreme. 
Uh, and then I went to culinary school. I worked in corporate America, but eventually quit my job and decided to become a chef. Went to culinary school at the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York City. And while I was there, that was really like my first introduction to veganism um, in terms of how it affects our bodies and how it affects our health and um, the benefits that can be gained by taking out all animal products. And even then, I kind of was like, no, I like cheese too much. I'm never going to be a vegan. That's crazy. I think I even said those words. That's crazy. And um, I, I had a couple of vegan friends in class. And I always just kind of looked at them and felt sorry for them that they weren't able to eat like the cheese that we were cooking and stuff. And but I was interested, like one of them fed his dog a vegan diet. And um, the other is a former guest on your show, Talia Pollock. She was my vegan, um, my culinary school classmate. And she was vegan at the time. And so they just would talk about it like with such a glow. And they were so enthusiastic about this lifestyle. And they didn't seem deprived or like they were wanting for anything. You know, they just like didn't really it didn't phase them that we were using dairy products. They didn't seemed like they wanted to try any of it. So anyway, I was sort of interested. So I started doing a little bit of my own research just to see what it was all about. And I think my first, the first thing that really hugely impacted me was Jonathan Safran Foer's book, um, Eating Animals. And that was really the first time like the curtain was ripped away from me in terms of the dairy industry and um, you know, how it impacts the animals. And I already knew a little bit about the, the health aspect, but this was really like when I started learning about, like I said, the dairy industry. And um, because I was interested in that book, I wanted to get more resources on on veganism. So I started listening to a podcast, um, Food for Thought, uh, which is Colleen Patrick Goudreau's podcast. And I just like binge listened those podcasts. I was private chefing at the time. And every day on my commute to work, which was about a 30 minute drive, I would just listen to her podcasts on double speed. So I would listen to like at least two of them a day. And I just was like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like, first of all, just like the truths behind, you know, the animal agriculture industry, but then just like how joyful she sounded. She actually, her website is the joyful vegan. So she, she does a good job kind of just making this lifestyle seem not one of deprivation, but one where, you know, you can just be really your true self and live in alignment with your values. And the way she described food just sounded so delicious to me. And, you know, as someone who works with food, I was like, this is crazy. I'm a chef. And like, I want, I want what she's talking about. Like, I don't want butter. I don't want cheese. So I slowly started cutting dairy out of my diet. Um, first it was like little things like yogurt. I just was like, I don't need yogurt anymore. And I cut it out. And then cheese, of course, was the final frontier. And that was really tough for me, like it is for a lot of people. And um, even that I did gradually. I think I, when I said I'm going vegan, I think I allowed myself like one day a week where I would have cheese pizza. And that was like literally the only exception I made. But I think that made all the difference for me in terms of staying vegan, because I gave myself permission to kind of like ease into it. And then there came a point in my life where I just didn't, the, the gaps of time between those like cheese nights became bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I just stopped wanting it. And it wasn't, I'm not like repulsed by it. I just, just feel so good eating the way that I do mentally and physically. I just feel my best. And so that's sort of how I got to where I am now. Wow. That's such a cool story. Whenever you mentioned Talia, I suddenly felt like I was in the Marvel universe, like <laughs> two of my podcast guests colliding together at the same time and place in the past. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Um, 
And I love how your dad read Diet for a New America. That was one of the first books I read after I decided to experiment with my own diet. I, I just thought it was such an impactful book. But also, I would like to say that you're not the only one that would probably say it would be crazy to give up cheese because a lot of people think and say that, you know, they're like, yeah. I would rather die than stop eating cheese. You know, it's one of those things. It's like the, the one that comes up recurrently is, well, I would eat this way, but the cheese, you right. know? So I love how you didn't force yourself and you kind of slowly eliminated to the point where you were able to tune into your own body and realize that really, no, I don't need it or I don't want it. I don't crave it like I used to. So it didn't become like this sort of restrictive, you know, relationship with cheese. Yeah. And, and that, also, was, that was a big deal for me. I just want to um, interject in case anyone out there is is like me. I'm very much a black or white person. Mm. I I can be very perfectionistic. So for me to allow myself that, you know, time to just figure it out was really unlike anything else I've done in my life. And I think that truly, like I said before, I, it really made all the difference for me, just sort of yeah. easing in. Yeah, no, that's great that you were able to do that. And I like to talk about that in the show all the time, that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I do feel like sometimes that perfectionism does keep people away from eating more whole plant foods, yeah, you know, because sure. they feel like it does have to be like this all or nothing sort of thing. I'm curious about your childhood. And after your dad read that book, did you guys, after that, continue to talk about animal agriculture and watch documentaries or do any of those kinds of activities? Or was it kind of like you decided, okay, I'm not going to eat meat, that went away, and then you just kind of went about your life? Um, you know, I don't really know to what extent my father did those things. I, like I said, it was the late 80s. So I don't really know how many documentaries were out there at, at the time. And I think even in terms of literature, there was a you know a limited amount of information out there. But it certainly started to increasingly define my family. Um, just because my sisters, I have two sisters, and they both also went on board. And like I said, this was all independent choices. My parents did not pressure us. If anything, my mom was, you know, the typical 80s mom. She was like, oh my God, are they getting enough nutrition? And, you know, she was worried and she was concerned. And um, <clears throat> my dad, you know, told her, I'm not making them do anything, but we were really resolute. And I, it's hard for me to remember exactly what my feelings were at the time, but I remember making that connection like very clearly, like I love animals and I don't want to eat them anymore. And I almost like lost my taste for it overnight. And when I eventually did stop eating chicken, it was because I was over a friend's house and her parents were having a dinner party and I was helping to prepare the food and chicken was on the menu and there was some raw chicken there. And I looked at it and I just was like, I, I can't, I just can't eat that anymore. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it, but we were little, so I don't think my parents or especially my dad wanted to get too graphic about what he knew. But you know, all you have to say is like, that was an animal. And now it's on someone's plate, it's easy to make the connection as a kid that you know, the animal died. Um, and then as we got older, of course, we were able to have more adult conversations. And now we watch documentaries together. Um, I've gone to farm sanctuary with my parents. Um, my dad is also vegan. Now my sisters are both vegan. Now. My mom is like 99% vegan. So um, it's really cool to have that built in support and we all kind of get it. And we're all kind of on the same timeline too. We all sort of transition to veganism around the same time. So it might sound weird, but it, it's been hugely helpful in my journey. Yeah, no, I love it. No, your dad was definitely an early adopter, you know, yeah. because it's true that was 
there probably wasn't very much out there. But now I feel like we have an overabundance of documentaries and books and social media accounts and all kinds of things to inform us. Mm -hmm. Tell me why you became a chef. Well, um, that's also a, a little bit of a journey. I, um, I've always loved food and I didn't really, you know, connect it to a career at any point in my life up until, you know, pretty much the year before I became a chef. I just always like really looked forward to mealtime. And I remember like growing up um, as a, as a young adult, I like put together a family cookbook of all of our family recipes because my, my family's heritage is very much steeped in food. So I'm half Sicilian and half Argentinian. And both of those cultures are like all about meals and the family table and communing over food and expressing love through food. And some of my very earliest informative memories are eating at my grandmother's tables. And they're still some of my most cherished memories. In fact, you know, I, I get borderline get choked up talking about it because it's just such a beautiful time in my life. Just have them cook for us and being all together. And my mom always cooked for us my whole life. We had family dinner. And again, it was hugely formative for me. And so when I got to be, you know, in my 20s and I was working, I was very ambitious. I had graduated um, from my undergrad school and I was just sort of like, I need to be successful. I need to make money. But I didn't really have any sort of connection to anything I was doing. And eventually I landed on a, a career in Wall Street and I was doing really well and it was really exciting. And, you know, there are all these like great perks to the job. And I just found myself like just wanting to come home every night and watch Rachel Ray. That's like literally all I wanted to do. And I would just come home and watch her and be like, she doesn't have any culinary school like experience. And she's like a successful chef. And like, maybe I could do that. But I just didn't know how to go about doing it. I just didn't have the time to, you know, start a food blog and really work on it in earnest. Like I said, I'm perfectionistic. So I was like, I need to like, you know, quit my job. But everyone was telling me, you know, it's a mistake. You know, you have all this stability. It's not a good time. And then of course, like the financial markets crashed in 2008 and everything was kind of up in the air. And I got, I got another, I was lucky enough to get another job in finance. And basically my parents were like, don't you dare. And <laughs> I, I sort of listened to them for a little while and then the voice just got too loud. It was like, you, you, you have to, you have to quit your job because I just wasn't doing a good job. I mean, I was doing well on the surface, but I just hated it. I came to work every day and my energy was just like so bad in, in the office. Like more, my morale was really low. And, um, I had a, a relative, an aunt of mine who, who was, I was very close to and she passed away that year. And it was the same year I turned 30. And I just was like, life is too short. I just, I cannot wait. And so I wrote a resignation letter and I handed it in and my boss like begged me to stay. And I was like, I'll stay a few more months. I'll see how I feel. And then like the end of the summer came around. And I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm really done. And so I enrolled in culinary school and I just like said a little prayer and um, it worked out. And I'm just like, it's the best, like other than the choice to have children, it was like the best decision I ever made. I love stories like that because I feel like it can be so hard to follow our dreams, especially when we have other people telling us, no, it's not safe. Be careful. It's so much risk. But that's a huge difference. You know, Wall Street and a financial sort of job to a chef. I mean, that's like polar opposite, you know? Yeah. So did you, you said that you really didn't know 
specifically that you wanted to be a chef, but it was, was it because you really enjoyed watching those shows and and cooking and and you were just kind of like, I think I can do this? What was it inside you that just like triggered that like, I think I can do this sort of feeling? Um, It was that, but it was also, so my job on Wall Street is I was a, a recruiter and I specifically recruited campus level hires. So they were either like coming right out of undergrad or graduating from their MBA programs. And part of my job was to plan these like really fantastic training and onboarding experiences for them. So of course we did like a lot of, a lot of like financey type stuff, but we also did a lot of team building, you know, fun things so they could get to know each other as a group. And one of the things we consistently did were cooking classes. Like everyone seemed to have fun. So we went a couple of years in a row with different groups to this cooking studio in New York. And every time I was there, I just wanted to be the lady running the school. I was like, I love these guys. I love these kids. I love like hanging out with them, but I don't want to be the recruiter. I want to be teaching them how to bake the brownies or, you know, whatever it is that we were making that day. And I remember at one point when I was like nearing the end of my rope with my career, I actually pulled aside the instructor and I was like, can I talk to you for like five minutes? Like when, when this class is over and she was like, sure. And like, I don't think she knew what to expect from me. And I just was like, I really want to be a chef. Like, like, can you give me some advice? And cause I just, I just love the energy in the kitchen. It was just like, I don't know. It's super hard work, but it's also just exhilarating. It's kind of like walking through New York city. It's not for everybody. Like some people get like really stressed out by it, but some people actually get energized and motivated by it. And that's how I am with both New York and the kitchen. Um, and I just, I really wanted to be her. Like I wanted to either have a cooking school or teach uh, private cooking classes or be a private chef. And I just knew that that was for me. I just like intuitively knew. And she, she gave me some advice, but then ironically, when she found out I was vegetarian, she's like, you'll never make it as a vegetarian chef. She's like, you're going to have to start either tasting meat or eating meat or at minimum cooking meat, but you can't really be a good chef unless you're tasting your food. And I came home that day, like really deflated, but then I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. And this was before the rise of like a lot of the popular vegan chefs now, you know, like Chloe Cosarelli and Tal Ronan and just lots of others. And this was before they all kind of came into the spotlight. And, um, I just knew I just wanted to, to be in that field in some capacity and I was going to figure it out. So. Oh, I love that. I love so much that you listened to that voice and followed your intuition. And I think that vegetarian and vegan chefs actually have to be more talented than chefs that just cook meat because I think it's just so easy to just be like, okay, well, what meat am I going to, you know, like you always think of it that traditional way of like, okay, what meat am I going to prepare? And then what am I going to make to go with it? But whenever you are cooking plant-based in a vegan way, I feel like it comes from more of a place of creativity and like flavor and palate rather than centering on the type of meat that you're going to make. Did you feel like whenever you were going through school and and learning about this, that you had to think a little bit different than people who, I mean, is that school that you go to only plant-based or do they also teach you about cooking meat? Um, So Natural Gourmet has actually been absorbed by a larger cooking school now, um, Institute of Culinary Education. So I don't know what their curriculum is like at this very moment, but when I was there, it was largely plant-based. We did do, there was, I I forget how long it was, but there were several weeks of optional meat classes. Um, But you didn't have to, you didn't have to do them, which was nice. So if you, you know, had no interest in learning how to prepare meat, it was not required of you to graduate. Um, 
And then in terms of dairy, it was really limited and it was, it was never really an essential part of the dish. So we didn't do things like souffles where like you really have to have eggs in order to, to make it. I mean, it was more just like a garnish. Like sometimes we would make like a, you know, like a Parmesan type thing where you could technically leave it off, but, um, natural gourmet also, they teach to use whole foods. So we never did like store-bought vegan cheeses or store-bought vegan ricottas. It was everything from scratch. So thankfully I had that, um, that base of knowledge from them on like how to create flavor using whole plant foods. But even then, you know, you graduate and you, you kind of forget like the specific recipes you learned. And in a way, like your, your real education is your on the job education. Cause that's really when you have to figure things out without your chef instructors kind of guiding you and holding your hand. So I definitely think it's not harder from a skill perspective than meat cooking. Um, you know, I don't think you need to be like, especially gifted off the bat, but I think you, you might need to think outside the box more for sure. Um, I think that cooking omnivorous foods can be a bit formulaic, you know, it's just been there, done that like thousands of times. There's so many resources out there. And also like when in doubt, just like add butter, you know, it's going to taste good if there's more butter. Or I see now chefs just throw bacon on everything. It's like, well, yeah, of course people are going to like it. Whereas with vegan food, like you really need to know how to build flavor without just like dumping unhealthy ingredients on it. And I think that's where maybe a little bit of skill is involved. Like, because you really, you have to learn those things by cooking this way every day over the course of years. Yeah. I think that's what I meant. It's just more, you have to be more creative, right? right. Like yeah. it's not just the same old, same old that's like you said, been done lots of times before. So what do you think is the biggest myth that you encounter when it comes to cooking and preparing vegan food? What do you hear over and over from people? Um, I think the biggest one, like the most pervasive myth that I hear is that it's just all of it's a deprived way of eating. You know, you're just always going to feel hungry, like whatever you're eating is inferior to what your dining mates are having. And that's just not true. Um, it's, it can be true if you go to a restaurant that like specializes in meat and then like the only option for you is like, you know, a side of steamed vegetables and yeah, maybe, but I think 99% of the time. I feel more than satiated. Like I, I don't, I never feel deprived. I feel like I can eat at most restaurants with, with zero issue. Most restaurants are actually happy to accommodate. You know, you just have to know like how to ask and and what to ask for, but I eat pizza, I eat pasta, I eat sandwiches, I eat everything. And, um, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think the other thing is that people think, Oh yeah, you're eating pancakes, but they're like vegan pancakes. They're gross pancakes. We're you know, most of the time you really can't even tell the difference there. My husband actually prefers my pancakes to dairy pancakes. And that's just one example. Now he's eating like my cashew cheese on our pizza because he thinks it tastes like Alfredo sauce. And it's just, he's not a vegan. And for him to choose that, like over his like Buffalo mozzarella, I think is like, just speaks to how satisfying this way of eating can be. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, I think people think it's not family friendly. It's also not true. Like I said, I'm married to someone who really loves cheese. He loves buffalo wings. You know, he loves all those things. But um, he, we've just figured out the meals that make everybody happy. And we all eat the same thing. So I have two little kids. I have a five-year-old and a one-year-old. And they've never tasted meat. And my husband, like I said, eats what I cook. And so I think as long as you're willing to, you know, just 
find the meals that work for your family and do a little bit of advanced planning like you would in any other diet. You know, I feel like with even with omnivorous diets, you have to cater to people's palates and you have to do a little bit of planning. The same is true for a vegan diet, but it can be done and everyone's healthy and thriving. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I agree 100%. I always say that for me and my family, eating in this way has provided abundance rather than deprivation. Yeah. And I really do feel like I've become more skilled in the kitchen, which I'm happy about because I've always wanted to learn how to make things. So I definitely know how to make more things from scratch now than I did before. You know, before I think it was just like I said before, you just get into that easy rut of like, you know, the the five or six meals that you make and you don't learn anything else. But when we started eating this way, I deliberately started learning other ways to cook and eat. And it's been really very eye-opening into the the abundance of different grains and fruits and vegetables and all of that that um, are available in our world. What What's the opposite? What do you think surprises people the most whenever you cook a vegan meal? For someone who's not vegan, What what's the most surprising thing to them usually? Um, I think just how, how amazing you feel both inside and out. Like I like I said before, my decision to go to culinary school was the best decision of life, my life, because that led to my, my veganism now, which I think has been life altering in, in every way, but in the best way. And like, I just feel this like deep sense of joy and peace eating this way, because I'm convinced that this is the best thing for my body. This is the best thing for the planet. This is the best thing for the animals. This is, I just feel very much in alignment. And I think that that's why people are so enthusiastic about veganism. You know, it's, I don't think anyone is, uh, you know, having podcasts or writing books or filming documentaries because, you know, they're not, they don't care. It's the opposite is that this has just changed them profoundly and they want to shout it from the rooftops. And so I think that's one thing that maybe people don't realize. Um, the other thing is that a lot of your basic foods are vegan. You know, it doesn't really require all this special stuff. Like most spices, all spices and herbs are vegan. Many sauces and dressings and marinades are vegan. Obviously all fruits, vegetables, legumes, beans, nuts, seeds, all that is vegan. So all these things that people are eating every day, lots of their food is already vegan. It's just placed next to an animal product. So, um, you know, if you take out the animal product, a lot of your food is still familiar. It's still stuff that you're buying anyway. Um, and lastly, the other thing that might be surprising is you don't have to have like a traditional plate the way that most of us imagine it. You know, most of us imagine the square meal of like a grain, a vegetable and a protein. And that's not really the way you have to eat. Um, most foods contain protein. And you don't have to worry about, you know, calculating all these macronutrients when you're eating. As long as you're getting enough calories, you're getting enough protein. And so really just making sure you have a good variety, making sure that you have plenty of vegetables on your plate, staying away from the processed stuff, which is all kind of intuitive. Like you're you're gonna have a healthy meal. And it's it's okay if there's not like a big slab of tofu on your plate. If that's not your thing, that's 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 cool. Um, you know, you're gonna be fine. And I think that's the hardest myth to crack. I think people are just so afraid, like to let go of this like old idea of what what makes up like a healthy dinner plate. Um, so, but I think once you start eating this way and you don't feel weak, you don't feel deprived, you realize like, oh yeah, I don't really need that. 
Yes. I love that so much. And it's true. I think because I'm a pediatrician from parents, the concerns I hear the most are my child's not going to get enough protein and where are they going to get their calcium from? You know, so definitely it's just the marketing that we've done for protein and milk has been amazing over the past few decades. Mm -hmm. And it's just like stuck in our mind that there's no way we can get enough protein if we don't eat meat. Or like you said, a bunch of tofu, which -hmm. people have told me before too. Oh, well, I can't be vegan because I'm allergic to soy or I don't like soy. And I'm like, it's just one of 400 beans, you know, like it's fine if you don't eat it. That's fine. Um, So cool. I love that stuff. Okay. So you just said you have a one-year-old and a five-year-old. So how long were you vegan before you had your babies and how has having your children influenced or affected your perspective on nutrition? So I was vegan for about a year and a half before my first daughter was born. So I had a fully vegan pregnancy. Um, And then with my second daughter, I was obviously still vegan. And I would say they've affected my perspective on nutrition. Just I'm just more aware, obviously. I'm just in charge of someone else's life and their well-being. And obviously, I don't want to go into the doctor's office and get news that, you know, reflects poorly on my choices as a parent. So. I've just been extra conscious of just giving them whole foods. Um, That's not to say we don't ever have processed things or packaged things, but I really try to make the abundant, like the, the majority of their food, whole foods. And then I feel like if we eat something that's not quote perfect, it, it won't matter as much because they're getting all the good stuff 90% of the time. Um, I also just see, you know, how, how they're doing, you know, if they seem vibrant and energetic, which they are, they're both bouncing off the walls. Like that makes me worry a little less. Um, but it's hard because, you know, you, most pediatricians are trained with, you know, as, as you know, very little nutrition training, they're still clinging to this, as I mentioned last in the last question, this old model of what constitutes a good plate. And, you know, I still have like the doctor telling me, make sure you give them yogurt, make sure you give them milk, like, so they're getting enough calcium. So they have strong bones. And it's it's hard because I don't want to push back or act like I know it all. You know, they're the doctor. I'm not. Um, but at the same time, I have to kind of let my, my own knowledge and my inner voice guide me. And I know that there are many doctors out there, including, you know, that say this is a perfectly healthy way of eating and you can get enough calcium and vitamin D from plant sources. So um, I think you know, as a parent, you need to kind of balance both. You need to, you know, listen to your inner voice, but also, you know, figure out a way to make sure your child has all the nutrients from plant sources. So you do need a a little bit of a base of knowledge. And I think there are lots of resources out there, you know, from this podcast to there are lots of books on vegan nutrition and just making sure you have the right tools so that you're doing it right. Yeah. And Obviously, we also have very easy supplements available for those little gaps in nutrition that might exist in a lot of different children, not just vegan children. So it's definitely something that can be done in a very easy way. It doesn't have to be complicated in a very health promoting way, the way you're doing it, which all pediatricians, I think, can agree that we want children to eat mostly whole foods and eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and decrease their amount of processed foods. And, you know, so it's really not that far off, but you're Mm -hmm. right. I mean, I was one of those pediatricians. I was, and I admit that all the time that I had to 
train myself. I had to go out there and get the knowledge myself and immerse myself in the evidence in order to feel comfortable telling patients that it was okay if they didn't drink milk, you know, but it, it took quite a few years. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned before that your father, whenever he made a transition to being a vegetarian, didn't feel compelled to force it on you. I'm purposely using the word force because a lot of people do feel like sometimes when we raise our kids vegan that we're forcing upon them an ideology. So tell me what what are your thoughts on raising vegan children? You know, your your kids are still little, especially the one year old. But do you talk to them about their choices or what they may do later in life? And how do you feel about this as far as like the ethics of raising children? Yeah. So this is like a, a journey that I'm still on, and that you know I feel like with every passing month or year as they enter a new phase, I, you know, kind of have to reevaluate the best approach. So as I said before, my kids both had vegan pregnancies and they were both born vegan and, you know, I breastfed. And then when I did have to supplement occasionally, it would be with soy formula. And, you know, so I, I really tried very hard and I still do. And I, everything that we eat at home is vegan. That being said, my older daughter got to a point where she was going to school or going to play dates and there were things offered to her that she wanted. You know, she wanted a cupcake. She wanted a slice of pizza. And, um, you know, she saw her cousins eating a slice of pizza, you know, things like that. And this started happening pretty young. Like I would say like two, two and a half. And that's a really young age to be like sitting your child down and being like, you know, dairy cows make their cows for, their babies and their babies are sold off to the veal industry. You know, it's just like, it's, it's a lot, it's heavy. It's heavy for an adult to, to really listen to and, and understand. And so basically what I decided and, you know, others might have a different approach or, or disagree is that I just figured everything that I serve them is going to be vegan. Everything that I make at home that we eat together as a family is going to be vegan. I'm not going to buy them something at the supermarket that doesn't align with my values or doesn't align with my idea of what constitutes good nutrition. However, if she's at a birthday party and she wants a cupcake, I'm going to let her have the cupcake. I just I just want to be really careful about restricting certain things when I can't explain it well to her. I struggled a lot with food in my life, um, you know, from a psychological perspective. I had a lot of issues growing up mostly in my teens and 20s. And I just like want to do everything possible to make sure that my kids don't have to go through that. I don't want them to ever see food as the enemy. I don't ever want them to look at me and resent me. Um, thankfully, my parents didn't do anything to to cause my issues, at least not directly with, with my food choices. Um, but I, I want to just start early and letting them know if they, they want to try something, they can. Um, my daughter is now getting old enough where I have started telling her a little bit about the dairy industry. I say, Oh, you know how I nursed your little sister and how she breastfed. That's what cows do too. And their milk is for their babies. And that's why mommy doesn't buy that milk because it's really for a baby cow. It's not for a person. And now that she knows, and I, you know, never made her feel guilty about it, at least not intentionally. Um, she's been choosing more vegan things. Um, she still loves pizza and she still loves cupcakes, but she wants vegan yogurt and she wants, you know, she happily drinks soy milk and almond milk. Like we've never really, she's never tasted dairy milk. Um, so I do the best I can. And I've like kind of forgiven myself for not having them on this like perfect vegan diet that I envisioned for them. And that was hard for me. You know, I, I, 
feel strongly about the way I eat. And I also would watch like YouTube videos of these women feeding their kids like kale salads, like these like two-year-olds eating kale salads with like raw sauerkraut. And and I just was like, what's wrong with me? Like, why isn't my kid eating this way? Like, why doesn't my child want to eat a kale salad? Like, and I really like genuinely beat myself up over it. And I thought I was like making some sort of mistake. And then I was like, you know what? You grew up eating like far worse, far worse, like than, you know, these kids. Like when I was like five, the I'm sure the junk I ate. And, you know, I grew up and I ended up making my own choices anyway. So I just try to, you know, let them enjoy and without guilting or shaming them and then just hoping that at some point (laughs) they'll make the decision that, um, that I made, but if not, you know, they're their own people. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What a complex journey. And I I was just chuckling a little bit at, you know, the mom guilt is so real and it's Mm -hmm. so strong no matter what you're doing, but I, I know exactly how you feel. And I don't think that there's any perfection when it comes to this and having kids, unless you raise them in a bubble and you start restricting them because Mm -hmm. we don't live in a vegan world and kids go out and they do other things and they go to celebrations and parties. So I think a lot of families are choosing this approach, you know, at home, you keep it as wholesome as possible. You keep it vegan at home and then you just kind of navigate the rest carefully um, and over time. But as far as the, you know, that vision you had of your kids being these like kale eaters, you know, I, I usually use broccoli in that place, but kids are just kids and they're born with preferences and they're born with different personalities. And I think I want all moms to know that if your kid doesn't like kale or broccoli or any vegetable in particular, it doesn't mean that you're a failure of a mom, you know, you just keep offering it. You keep serving wholesome foods and you let the kids make those choices and their intuitive eating journey. But I don't think, I don't think I've heard any expert, any guest on my show claim to have perfect eaters. So I think that means there's probably no perfect eater and we all just (laughs) do the best we can, you know? So speaking of stressed out parents, because a lot of us are, what are your top three to five tips for stressed out, busy parents that want to cook healthy and delicious food for their families? Anyone can do is just to make sure that you have something fresh on the table at all times. So with breakfast, you know, we'll go meal by meal. With breakfast, for instance, if you're having waffles, just put some berries on the table with the waffles, you know, just make sure they're getting some sort of like whole fruit with, with their meal. Same thing for lunch and dinner, you know, lunch is easy to pack some carrot sticks or some celery sticks or cucumber slices or whatever veggie your, your child likes. If they don't like raw vegetables, then, you know, maybe applesauce or something that closely resembles a fruit or a vegetable without any additives. If you're buying applesauce, try to get it without added sugar, um, things like that. And then for dinner, of course, just making them always see some sort of vegetable on the table, even if they're not eating it. I think it's important that they start to learn that this is part of a plate. You know, there's always broccoli, there's always sauteed spinach, there's always a salad, whatever it is that your family likes best, you know, having that be part of the table and modeling that for them. You know, I think that that's one thing that I try to do is I try to always have just like a ton of vegetables on my plate, not only because I genuinely like eating them, but I want my kids to see that this is the way I eat because kids do model their, their parents' behavior to some extent. I also think it's important for parents to, um, 
to not automatically assume that your child won't eat something, you know, and I've definitely been guilty of this. There are times where I will make something for myself and my husband and I'll like give my kids like some modified version or something else. And assuming that they don't want what I want what I have. And my older daughter will be like, why can't I have that? And I'm just like, Oh, you can <laughs> like, I'll like scoop some onto her plate. And, um, you know, that's happened to me a few times where I've just like presumed she won't want it. And then she does. Also, their taste buds change. So my daughter used to only, the only raw vegetable she would ever eat was sliced bell peppers. And now like all of a sudden she's asking for carrot sticks and cucumbers and other things, which is exciting for me. But, you know, if she hadn't spoken up, I would have just like forever only given her the bell pepper strips because I wouldn't want to like waste the other food or go through the trouble of making it and have her not eat it. So I think just giving your kids a chance and understanding that their palates change and that, you know, they, they won't always like and hate the same thing that that will, that will change over time. And you should give them a chance to at least to try it and make that decision for themselves rather than making it for them. Um, I think another thing that you can do um, to help raise healthy eaters is to, if you have older kids, I would say, you know, preschool age and above, just to flip through a cookbook with them and let them help pick out some of the things that they want to try. You know, it doesn't have to be every night. I think that's, you know, probably too much to ask of, of most families, but maybe one meal a week where the child has a say in, in, in something new, something that, you know, you kind of approve of too. And I think that's also exciting for them, you know, getting to look at a, a photo and, and know that they selected the dinner that night um, is, is really cool for a kid is having that role in the house. Um, and then I would say, lastly, just not overcomplicating things. You know, you don't need to prepare this like gourmet vegan meal every time you eat. In fact, you know, everyone knows like kids like simple things and adults do too. Um, so a lot of nights in my house, even though I may, I'm a chef, we literally just have like a tortilla with like black beans and avocado and salsa on it. And it's like the fastest thing. It's nutritionally complete. Everybody likes it. I don't have to worry about, you know, portioning out specific things for my kids. Um, same thing goes for pastas. Um, you know, if you don't want to have white pasta, there's so many gluten-free and whole grain varieties out there and just topping it with like very simple, like tomato sauce. It can be from a jar with, you know, some vegetables tossed in. You can do like a little like nutritional yeast on top for that cheesy flavor. Very quick, not complicated. Doesn't require any special skills. Um, you know, sandwiches, you just like fry up some tempeh, top it with, you know, some hummus, sauerkraut, if you like that really easy. Like all of these things I'm talking like less than 20 minutes. And again, don't require any special equipment. You don't need to have a Vitamix for this stuff. You don't have to have, you know, some fancy pots and pans, just your basics. And that's really what, what makes kids happy. And it's no pressure on you or minimal pressure on you. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. It's what makes kids happy and what makes parents happy too, because yeah, sure. nobody has time to or make cooking five nights a week, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think we need to be realistic and we need to realize that it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be gourmet in order for it to be delicious and nutritious. Okay, mm -hmm. I was gonna sum those up because those were excellent tips. Okay, so provide something fresh at each meal. So a fresh fruit and vegetable, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I think that's a fabulous tip. Don't automatically assume that a child is not gonna eat something, which I also just flip that around and say, continue to offer, continue to offer, continue to expose because that requires consistency and repetition. So don't assume that they won't eat something. Look at cookbooks together and allow your child to pick some recipes that they want to try and even maybe make with you. Those, that's a great tip. 
And last one, don't overcomplicate things. It doesn't have to be gourmet in order to be healthy and delicious. So awesome. I love those tips. I want to know as a chef, what your favorite kitchen appliance is. Oh man, this is like choosing a, a favorite child. I, <laughs> I think um, if I was in a desert island or if I could only bring a couple of things with me somewhere, it would for sure be like tied for first place. My chef's knife. I just have like a, an eight inch chef's knife. My preferred brand is Shun, but there's so many good ones out there. So just a really good quality chef's knife and my Vitamix. Um, you can definitely get by with a standard blender. But I consider my Vitamix to be on par with my laptop. It's like, it's a necessary expense. When it dies one day, I'm going to replace it. It's, I, I will make room for it in my budget. It's a game changer, um, especially if you're vegan. Like half the good stuff that I make that my husband raves about, you know, as a cheese person comes from the Vitamix. Like all those like Alfredo type sauces. Um, having a high power blender really can make all the difference with that. You can get by without it, but you're... If you can save up for one or get a refurbished one, it really makes a huge difference. Um, so those are my main ones, but I also love a fine mesh sieve and um, citrus squeezers. I think those are underrated appliances. I use them every day. I like how you keep trying to sneak things in there yeah. when I just ask you for one. <laughs> no, we but definitely, I think a lot of people underestimate how important a good chef's knife is. Yeah. My husband went to Japan a couple of years ago and brought me back an authentic Japanese knife. And it, oh, my. oh my God, it is lovely. And he like had it inscribed for me, which was like one of the sweetest things he's ever done. Aww. But it makes a huge difference. Like you need a good knife. It makes yeah. cooking just more pleasant, safer, more efficient. But I am going to have to agree with you on the Vitamix for sure. It's in my top three. And I just, I call myself a blender snob now. I feel yeah. like <laughs> once you get a Vitamix, it's like, it just, it's like one of those things you can't compare. Like, it's like, you just, you just need a high powered blender. So you can't like downgrade back down because, you know, it just isn't right. Um, my older son is 15 and he has started to cook one meal a week for the family. So I'm trying to, uh, delegate some of the tasks. So my husband's taken over one meal a week and now my 15 year old's taken over one meal a week. And I'm super happy about That's this. So cool. But he was picking a recipe and asking me about it, you know, because he's getting experience and he's learning. And so he he wants to make this week a creamy or cream of broccoli soup. And it calls for cashews. And of course, the recipe, as most vegan recipes say, to soak the cashews. And he's like, okay, mom, you got to remember to soak the cashews. And I was like, oh, we have a Vitamix. You don't need to worry about it. And then both of us kind of chuckled in like a very snobby. We were like, oh. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, we are ultimate Vitamix snobs. But it's true though. That thing is amazing. I love it. It is too. true. I don't soak <laughs> anything anymore. And is that the broccoli soup from Issa Does It? I'm chance? not sure which one he was reading it to me. He just, oh. he was looking it up and he was just kind of going through it. I told him I was doing something else. So I told him to just read it out loud. Uh, and it sounded great. So I'm oh. looking forward to it. It's going to be this Sunday. So I'll probably post it on social media and brag about him. Yeah. Super excited. <laughs> okay. So this is kind of a morbid question, but at the same time, I think it could be very interesting. So if you had to choose your last dinner, not that you're going to prison or anything, but <laughs> what would be your last dinner? 
Um, it's like hands down pasta. I mean, anyone who follows me on Instagram, like I got a message the other day from someone I, who I don't know. And she was like, do you eat anything other than pasta? And I was like equal parts, like flattered that she was paying such close attention to my preferences and also like mortified. I'm like, no, I eat a lot of other stuff. Um, but you know, like I said before, I'm half Sicilian, like pasta is in my blood. I like cannot live without it. And yeah, my last dinner would be some sort of like rigatoni with a vegan vodka sauce some fresh basil on there, sauteed broccoli rub, and then you have to have the good Italian bread for mopping. You cannot leave any sauce on the plate. So I'm that would be my so last hungry. So you, I'm <laughs> assuming you make your sauce all from scratch, right? Yeah. I, my husband actually laughed at me. Like when I first met him, he like pulled out jarred sauce. I was like, I don't think I've ever had jarred tomato sauce. And he was like, you're such a snob. I'm like, no, I just literally haven't had it. So yeah. Is there, is there, what is your trick? Like, I know that, um, some people say you have to have the right kind of tomatoes, but what is like the one essential thing to making a really good homemade tomato sauce? Well, my grandmother taught me how to make hers and hers is like, I still cannot replicate it, even though it's so basic. It's just to keep it simple. I think people just overcomplicate marinara sauce. I've seen recipes like pureeing carrots into it. And like, it just, you just need good tomatoes. Like you said, just if you buy canned San Marzano tomatoes are a little extra sweet, a little less acidic. Those are really good. I do garlic in mine, a little bit of finely diced onion. Um, and that's really it. Salt. You don't need to add anything else. People put sugar in there. I like, like literally like want to smack the sugar. You do not need it. Yeah. I was going to ask if you put sugar in here. So you don't put sugar. No. Okay. Yeah. And those, I, that's what I heard. Those San Marzano tomatoes are like special. So yeah, they're good. You can make it with regular ones, but the San Marzano ones take it up enough. I don't think my grandmother used San Marzano tomatoes. She used like the canned Rienzi plum tomatoes. So those always like have a special place in my heart, but I, I do, uh-huh. I currently buy the San Marzano ones. Cool. What do you wish more people knew about vegan cooking? Um, I think just that it's not complicated. It's, it's really simple, you know, at its basic elements. It's like these foods that we've been eating since like the dawn of time. Um, it doesn't have to be like all this crazy store-bought stuff you see now. I think people go into the store and there's like vegan sausage, vegan, you know, beyond this impossible that. And like, it's, it's overwhelming. Cause I think the first thing that people think is like, what is that? Like, what am I eating? Like this Franken food. And it's, it's not that way. It's well, it doesn't have to be that way. It's, a really natural way of eating and it's what our bodies are designed to eat and um it's just so delicious and like you said it's abundant and it's joyful and it's just the best ah beautiful i'd like to know what habit what personal habit you're most proud of how you developed it and how you maintain it um well two come to mind the first is i i eat grains probably three times a day most days i'm like very proud of myself for that um I love them. I crave them. I feel off when I don't have them. My daughter laughs at me. She, she's, as I said, she's five and she says that mommy eats salad for breakfast. That's not true. I have like avocado toast and I'll put like raw collard greens on top or, you know, finely diced kale. Um, if I'm not eating avocado toast, I'll make a smoothie and just put lots of greens in my smoothie. Um, and then of course at lunch and dinner, there's a million ways to eat greens and I pretty much do them all. And I just feel really good and I'm, I know I'm getting them in. So I'm proud of that. And then, um, the other thing is I recently in the last like three or four months started a meditation practice 
which is something I've been resistant to my entire life. My dad, when he became vegetarian, he also started meditating. And, you know, my parents have been telling me like my whole life, you should start meditating. Every time I'm stressed out, you should meditate. And I'm just like, you're stressing me out even more. But this year, I think between coronavirus and some of my own personal issues, like I just reached a point where I was like, I have to, I have to figure something out, like how to cope with stress. And I just started a little bit like 10 minutes a day. And like I did with veganism, I like let go of any like preconceived notions of how it should be done. And it's just the reward has been noticeable. So I'm proud of myself for that. Oh, I love that. No, I tell people that about meditation all the time, because I do think that people go in with this preconceived notion that in order to meditate, you have to be like a monk or do it perfectly mm -hmm. or not think about anything at all. But I've been meditating for years and years now, probably 10 years now or almost oh, wow. 10 years. And I would say it's only like 25% of the time when I can actually get my brain to like get that really calm feeling where my body and my brain is just like all melts away. So I would say the majority of the time I have monkey brain and that's exactly why I have to keep meditating, you know, mm -hmm. because it's, it's just a practice that you build and it's centering. And I'm so glad that you're able to discover it in a non-perfectionistic way for yourself yeah. because it's really great. Do you ever do for your breakfast greens, do you ever do like a savory version of your greens or is it, I guess you're saying you put raw greens on your toast, but do you ever do like steamed greens or anything like that? Or what yeah, other breakfast so, greens ideas do you have? Yeah. So generally, like I'm not really a, a huge breakfast person just to be totally transparent, but when I do have it, it's either the two ways I said, or I will saute them sometimes. So, you know, I'll just take spinach or kale or whatever I have, and I'll saute it with some garlic. And I like to put like a tiny splash of vinegar at the end or lemon juice, um, usually vinegar, because I'd be too lazy in the morning to like cut open the lemon and then wash the squeezer. Um, and I'll just have that with, you know, toast or whatever it is. Sometimes I'll have beans with it for breakfast. In South America, Central America, they eat beans all the time at breakfast and people here think it's weird, but it's not. It's so good and filling. So if you're not like a sweet person, that's a really nice, easy breakfast to have. Mm, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it reminded me of Dr. Es Dr. Esselstyn whenever he talked about eating your greens because he prescribes that as part of his program is greens. And I think it's actually six times a day. <laughs> so, so you're, you're halfway there. Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> but, be so um, proud. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're doing awesome. That's great. Okay. This has been so amazing, Lauren. Thank you so much for your time today. Please Thank let you. us know how we can connect with you and what services or products you offer. Sure. So you can find me over at my website. That's www.laurenkretzer.com. I have a blog up there that I post recipes on sometimes. Um, it also lists my services on there, but Primarily, I'm a recipe developer, um, and you can find a, a lot more of my work and, you know, more frequently on Instagram, and that's at Lauren underscore Kretzer. Um, yeah, so I mostly work with, like, wellness companies, authors, restaurants, media outlets, um, develop recipes for lots of different things. So that's my bread and butter, no pun intended. <laughs> sounds super fun, though. That yeah, sounds like yeah. a really fun, fun life. I, I love my job. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, leave us with one call to action. What can my listeners do starting today to improve their health? Um, I would say just dedicate a week at some point where you're just going to give veganism a try. You know, just set aside the excuses. Just it's only seven days. Plan it out in advance. Just commit. Just see how you feel. Give your body a chance to to see how it likes it. And 
I'm pretty confident that you'll feel pretty good at the end of the week. I love it. Give veganism a try for one week. You can do it if you haven't already. Lauren says you can do it. So go for it. (laughs) Well, Lauren, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time and for your honesty and sharing your story with us. It's been really informative and I know that my listeners are going to love it. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Hey, veggie lover, I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.